Shalom and welcome to the Jewish Mind, where the growth of modernity meets the timeless wisdom and solutions of Judaism. All of creations are either completely celestial and thus infinite or completely terrestrial and therefore finite. This is why the body and the soul of all of creations were created simultaneously through one utterance of God. For example, when God said, let the earth give forth living animals, the earth gave forth a living animal. So too it was on that same day when God created the angels, the body of the angels and the spirit of the angels were created together as one. It is only concerning the human that God has changed the format. God separately formed the body out of earth and then separately breathed the soul of life into the nostrils of the body. Rabbi Chaim Benatar, known as the Orachayim HaKadosh, explains that man was also created as a living person and that the soul that God later blew into his nostrils was the nefesh hasichli, the intellectual soul. In the teaching of Hasidus, we would define this as Adam originally being created with his animalistic soul, the life force of the cells and organs of the body, including the brain, as it serves as the life center, nerve center, and the motor to the body. Then later, God breathed into mankind a piece of himself, a piece of God, which is the godly soul. Actually, until this very day, it works the same way. The animalistic soul is the soul that the child is born with, while the godly soul enters into the person in stages and is completely within the child for a boy at the age of 13 and for a girl at the age of 12. This is why the sages say, that the animalistic soul, which is the drive of the egocentric evil inclination, says to the godly soul, which is the drive of the selfless good inclination, my contract of submission of the person is dated first. I was here first. The outcome of the human having an infinite celestial soul and a finite terrestrial body is what the sages describe as, with three ways man is compared to an angel, and with three ways to an, angel, to an animal. The practical issue that this creates within the person is the infinite struggle. What is the infinite struggle? Let's see. The infinite human has infinite aspirations. The human is the only living creature on earth that has an innate need to create an eternal legacy which defies the grave in which his finite body shall be put to rest. The human being is the only creature that is plagued with a feeling of futility, which most often surfaces in full blossom in what we call a midlife crisis. At the heart of this is the human's being incapable of finding purpose and fulfillment in the animal kingdom's life of eat, don't be eaten, and procreate. The soul of the human is infinite and eternal and wants to express this in its finite experience here on earth. In this lecture, we are going to explore how to fulfill our innate, irrepressible need to create an infinite, eternal legacy. The first introduction for this lecture is to understand what makes a holiday a holiday according to Kabbalah and Hasidus. At large, all biblical holidays have a miraculous source, meaning that they are to serve as a commemoration of a miracle that was performed for us. Even with the high holidays, Rosh Hashanah is the day in which Adam and Eve were created, quite a miracle bestowed upon mankind. 
Yom Kippur is the day that Moses descended from Mount Sinai for the third time with the second set of tablets, which signified God's forgiveness to the Jewish people for having made the golden calf. Thus, regular weekdays represent the divinity that flows through nature, while holidays represent the gateways through which a transnatural level of divinity flows through the universe. Let us take a deeper look into the different flows of divinity that reveal themselves in our universe. There are the six working weekdays, which are the flow of the emotion emanations, which define nature. This, there is the Shabbat day, on which work is forbidden, and one must experience rest and pleasure. Shabbos comes from one of the intellect emanations. Then there are the holidays, in which regular weekdays are transformed into irregular holidays, in which one may not work other than for the need of eating, such as cooking and carrying. Holidays are as well from one of the transnatural intellect emotions. However, Shabbat and holidays are different. How so? In two ways. A. Shabbat is defined as a day of rest, while holidays are defined as a day of joy which tells us that Shabbat and the holidays are both flows of different transnatural intellect emotions. And there is a specific power to holidays, the experience of joy, upon which there is the spiritual ruling that joy bursts through all boundaries. The second difference is, Shabbos was sanctified by God with no participation of man. Holidays are sanctified by man through the Jewish courthouse establishing the Rosh Chodesh, from which the days of the month are counted, and the holidays then become sanctified on their established day of the month, Passover on the 15th day of the first month, Rosh Hashanah on the first day of the seventh month, Yom Kippur on the 10th day of the seventh month, etc. This is why the blessing we make on the sanctification of Shabbat is, Blessed are you God who has sanctified the Shabbat. While the blessing on the sanctification of the holidays are, Blessed are you God who has sanctified Israel and the times. What does that mean? What it means is that first God sanctified the Jewish people who then will set the new moon and through that they have sanctified the times, the seasons of the holiday. The reason for this introduction is for two primary points of A. Holidays have the infinite power of the transnatural. Joy bursts through all boundaries. And B is brought about through the service of mankind to God, sanctified Israel and the times. Another introduction necessary for this lecture is the fact that the verse refers to the three primary biblical holidays as agricultural holidays. Passover is called Chag Aviv, holiday of spring. Shavuot is called Chag Bikurim, holiday of the first fruits. And Sukkot is called Chag Asaf holiday of the harvest. The connection between these holidays and the agricultural seasons are so deep that the verse in Deuteronomy reads, Keep the month of spring and make the Passover, upon which our sages state, before it arrives, watch that it should be fit for the spring, and if not, proclaim it a leap year, thereby enabling you to wait another month until it is a season of spring. Thus we see that the season of spring is not defined by Passover, but rather Passover is defined by the agricultural season of spring. What is the deeper mystical meaning behind Passover depending upon and being defined by the agricultural season of spring? In order to, to understand this, we will have to first introduce the foundation of the oral law. 
Originally, when Moses descended Mount Sinai, Moses brought with him both the written law and the oral law. For example, Moses brought the written verse that states the prohibition of doing any work on Shabbat. However, this, word, this verse is somewhat meaningless without having Moses tell us what the Torah's definition of work is. Thus, quite clearly, Moses had to have also brought from God this definition. However, Mo Moses brought this to us orally, and it was not documented by him in the written law, which was dictated by God to Moses. <coughs> Excuse me. There was actually a prohibition to officially document any of the oral law, and instead it was transmitted from teacher to student orally. This changed in the times of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, known as Rebbe, who lived in the times of the Jewish people being taken into the Roman exile after the destruction of the Second Holy Temple. Rebbe was concerned that in exile, the transmission of the oral law would be lost, and thus he extrapolated from the verse in Psalms, and let me read to you the verse, a time to do for God they have made void your Torah. That there is a time that in order to do for God, meaning in order to preserve the Torah, that He should make void the prohibition against officially documenting the oral law. That's how, he that's how he extrapolated from that verse and went on to create a Mishnah in which the oral law was documented in an orderly format upon which the sages and future generations would create the Talmud. Here is how Rebbe organized the Mishnah. There are six orders, of which each order is made up of tractics, which are divided into chapters, which are divided into laws, case laws, called a Mishnah. For example, in the second order called Zmanim, seasons, there is the tractic of Psachim, Passover, which is made up of ten chapters, each taking us through another part of the laws of Passover, starting from the laws concerning Chametz, what it is, when and how to search for it and cleanse our properties of it before Passover, until the last chapter, which takes us through the laws of the Passover Seder. Now, the six orders are A, seeds, it's called seeds, which cover the laws of agriculture and all forms of tithing. B, seasons, which cover the laws of Shabbat and of all of the holidays. C, women, which cover the laws of marriage, divorce, and other such matters. D, Damages, which cover the laws of financial civil law. E. Holies, which cover all the laws of the Holy Temple and its sacrifices. And the sixth one, F. Purity, which covers the laws of impurities and their purification process. The reason that we are exploring the structure of the six orders of the Mishnah is because of the proximity of the first order, which is all about agriculture, and the second order, which is all about the holidays. We will soon see that this proximity exists because of the oneness and the dependence of the holidays upon the seasons of agriculture, as we previously explained. One last introduction is the verse in Isaiah, from which our sages extrapolate the secrets of the six orders. And here is the verse. And the faith of your times shall be the strength of salvations, the wisdom and knowledge, fear of the God, that is his treasure. I'm going to repeat the verse, only this time I'm going to insert the six Hebrew words for the first half of the verse. Emunas itecha, faith of your times. Choyshen Yeshuais, strength of salvations. Chachmas vadas, wisdom and knowledge. 
Our sages explain, I'm quoting to you a piece from the Talmud, an amazing piece. Rabbi Reshlokish said, Reshlokish was a famous sage, his name was Rabbi Shimon. Reshlokish said, what is meant by the verse, and there shall be faith in thy time, strength, salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. Faith refers to the order of seeds. In thy times refers to the order of seasons, festivals. Strength, the order of women. Salvation, the order of damages. Wisdom, the order of sacrifices. And knowledge, to the order of purity. Yet, even so, fear of God is his treasure. So what we see from that whole piece is that each one of these words from the verse correlate to one of the orders, one of the six orders of Mishnah. Now, before we get into this, interesting to point out is that of all the six words which seem to be working in pairs of twos, nevertheless, in accordance with Hebrew grammar, the second and third pair of two are two individual concepts being set together. Strength, salvation. Wisdom, knowledge. While the first pair, emunasi techa, faith of your times, is truly united as one, meaning specifically the faith of your times. Thus, once again, we find that the order of seeds, emunas, faith, and the order of seasons, holidays, itecha, your times, are deeply rooted within each other. What we are now going to experience in the lecture is the deep connection between holidays and agriculture, and then as a bonus, the mystical meaning and practical lessons of the correlation between each word of the verse and their order of Mishnah. So, why is the order of seeds, agriculture, being called faith? The reason why the order of seeds is called a Muna, faith, is because even though God has placed within the laws of nature that the process of putting a seed into the ground leads to harvesting produce, nevertheless, a Jew sows his field of seeds with faith that God will bring forth a harvest. So it is with, so it is with all of our work that we do our investments of energy and funds with faith that God's blessings will bring returns on our investments. That's what we say when we say Birchat Hashem, Hita Asher. Of course we do work, but it's the blessing of God that brings us wealth. What is the spiritual concept of, seeing, of sowing seeds? Hosea states, a verse in Hosea, And I, meaning God, and I will sow her for me in the land, which our sages explain to refer to mitzvot. That's what God is sowing. The seeds are God's commandments, mitzvot. It is God's commandments that God sows in the land. What is the land? As Hosea later states, sow righteousness for yourself. So the seeds are righteousness, mitzvot. Now what is the land? There is another verse in Malachi, which refers to the Jewish people as God's desirable land. For you shall be a desirable land, says the Lord of hosts. Thus in the verse of Hosea, God is commanding that the Jewish people sow righteousness, meaning to perform God's commandments in the physical world. Thus we are taught upon the verse in Isaiah, those who came, who Jacob caused to take root, that's sowing, Jacob caused to take root, Israel flourished and blossomed, and they filled the face of the world with fruitage. That the time of sowing seeds, that the words caused to take root, is now in exile, 
and the time of the harvest, when the verse says flourished and blossomed and they filled the face of the world with fruitage, is when Mashiach comes and will bring us the final redemption. Let's go to an interesting discussion in the Talmud. The Talmud discusses the reward of doing a mitzvah and states, There is no reward for precepts in this world, for it was taught. Rabbi Jacob said, There is not a single precept in the Torah whose reward is stated at its side, which is not dependent on the resurrection of the dead. So now we see from the Talmud that it says that when will be the reward for mitzvot that we do, it's in the time of the resurrection of the dead. Hasidus explains the reason for this as being that the revelation of a fulfilled mitzvah, which is the revelation of God's supernal will and essence, will only be in the times of Mashiach, when there will be the fulfillment of the verse in Isaiah, and your teacher, meaning God, and your teacher shall no longer be concealed from you, and your eyes shall see your teacher. That's the time of the reward for mitzvahs. In the times of exile, however, there is no revelation great enough to fully encompass the reward of a mitzvah. What there is in our time is the fulfillment of the Mishnah in Ethics of Our Fathers. What does it say? For the fulfillment of a mitzvah brings the fulfillment of another mitzvah. This reward of Ethics of Our Fathers is explained as the reward of our performing one mitzvah brings us the peace of mind and the wherewithal to perform another mitzvah and so on. That we have. However, the reward of each mitzvah in its full spiritual capacity is beyond the present capacity of the world. Hasidus also explains why the reward is specifically after the resurrection. Being that a mitzvah has to be fulfilled physically, thus the body participated in the performance of a mitzvah, and therefore deserves to partake in the reward. Were the reward to be in the afterlife in the Garden of Eden, or when Mashiach comes before the resurrection, then the body would be denied its reward. Our sages declare in the Talmud, Rabhiah the son of Abba said that Rabbi Yochanan had stated, The Holy One, blessed be He, does not deprive any creature of any reward due to it. Thus there must first be the resurrection, so that the body will be there for the reward of the mitzvah. Thus, in the spiritual level, once again, the act of sowing seeds, doing mitzvot, is an act of emuna, faith, that God will fulfill His promise to bring us in the future, after the resurrection of the dead, the reward, the harvest of the mitzvah that we are sowing today in exile. Thus, the verse refers to the order of seeds as emuna, faith. However, as we explained earlier, Holidays is a time when there is the transnatural divine flow which, and again I quote, bursts through all boundaries, and that this flow, unlike Shabbat, is brought about through the service of man. What this means is that the transnatural divine flow of the holidays are a foretaste and a window into the reward of the mitzvah that we will experience in the times of the resurrection. This is the deeper meaning behind the verse's connection between emunas and itecha, faith of your times, which is, I'm sorry, the faith, um, I'm sorry, faith, which is, faith of your times, right, which we're, with the order of the seeds, which is the faith, being one with the order of the seasons, which is of your times, the festivals. The spiritual work of sowing mitzvot in the times of exile is an act of faith in the future reward of revelation, of which we have a foretaste in our times of holidays. 
More precisely, what does this mean? What it means is, were there not to be the order of seeds, our doing mitzvot, then there would be no order of seasons, there would be no holidays, with their transnatural flow of God in the universe. Because who is creating the holiday? Who is creating that transnatural flow of God in the universe? It is you and I by doing our mitzvot, by planting our seeds. Thus holidays are a foretaste of the harvest that we're going to have from the seeds that we're planting now, the mitzvot that we're doing, that harvest in the times of the resurrection, we're having a foretaste of it right now in our holidays. Now we understand the spiritual dimension of why all the holidays are connected with and are named after agricultural seasons. As an extra treat, the Rebbe of Blessed Memory goes on in this teaching and explains for us the deeper meaning and practical lessons of the Talmud's correlation between the other words of the verse and their specific order of Mishnah. Let's quickly go through this. So we already explained order of seeds is doing mitzvot because it's built on faith that when Mashiach comes and the resurrection will be, we'll have our, our, um, our, our reward, our harvest of the work. Then we know why the order of the seasons, the holidays, is called of your times, meaning that it is now the revelation of what will happen in your times, meaning in the resurrection of the dead. Now let's go to the next word, strength. Strength, this refers to the order of women. Why is women called strength? The truest sense of strength for us is the infinite power of God as it reveals itself in our universe. The primary strength of God expressed to us in our universe is the power of creating ex nihilo, something out of nothing. Within the human race, this expresses itself in reproduction, having children. For the Jewish people, this is made possible through the laws of the order of women. That's why that order is called strength. In our practical service to God, this refers to the study of Torah. When the study of Torah is done as it is meant to be, with selfless openness to God's wisdom, then it becomes the fulfillment of the verse, My tongue will proclaim your word, for all your commandments are righteous. And this is the revelation of God's infinite wisdom and infinite power through our study of Torah. Let's go to the next word in the verse, salvations. This refers to the order of damages. Mystically speaking, damages refer to the four primary emanations of the evil forces. When one studies the order of damages, revealing the laws of damages as they exist in the Holy Torah, then he is subduing the evil forces within their source. And this is what brings about salvations. Thus, in our practical service to God, this refers specifically to the study of the Torah laws that govern all damages, civil law. Let's go to the next word in the verse, wisdom. This refers to the order of holies. The, services of the, the service of sacrifices in the holy temple was to bring, refine, and elevate an animal upon the holy altar. This refers to the refinement and elevation service of all of our physical world, transforming its mundane objects into objects of holiness. The Holy Zohar states that the power of refinement and transformation lies in the humility and the transparency of the emanation of wisdom to the infinite light that shines into her. Thus, we find a very interesting transformation in the laws of holies. From the Genesis point of view, the 24-hour period of a day, there first comes night and then comes day. Thus, for example, Shabbat starts Friday night and ends at the onset of Saturday night. 
However, concerning the laws of how long one may eat the flesh of a sacrifice, the 24-hour period begins in the day when the sacrifice was offered and ends at the onset of the sunrise of the next day, which means the night comes after the day. Night represents the husk that comes from the f before the fruit, and day represents the fruit that grows after the husk. The husk, mystically speaking, is the opaqueness of the non-transparent evil, while the fruit is the holiness. Because the service of sacrifices is to refine, elevate, and transform the husk into a transparency to its fruit, thus, once we bring a sacrifice, the night follows the day, and not the other way around. Let's go to the next word, knowledge. This refers to the order of purity. Maimonides explains at the end of the laws of mikvah, of ritual bath, that all of the laws of impurity and purity are of the category of illogical statues. We don't really understand how they work. Mystically, the logic of how they, why they work the way they work. Mystically speaking, this means that this category of mitzvah do not come from the finite linear permeating light, but from the infinite circular encompassing light. This is why we experience these commandments as illogical for they do not fit into our finite intellectual linear methodological system. Thus, here we are speaking of refining and elevating the circular encompassing faculties of evil. Sacrifices can only be brought of kosher animals, and thus the refinement and elevation is only of the linear permeating faculties of evil, in the sense of egocentric mundane animalistic desires. However, in the order of purity, we are speaking of the darker, circular, encompassing faculties of evil, impurity. And thus, even the emanation of wisdom is not enough to perform this refinement and elevation. Rather, we need the emanation of knowledge, which is rooted within the infinite, encompassing, supernal crown, in order to refine and elevate impurities. So there you have it, the six orders, and why they correlate with those words, and what they mean to us. Now, in closing to this lecture, let us return to the first two orders of Mishnah, which were the original focus of our lecture. The order of seasons, festivals, are deeply rooted and dependent upon the order of seeds, agricultural, to the point that the holidays each have agricultural names. Why? The reason for this is that seeds refer to our performing physical finite actions of mitzvot in this world while festivals refer to the spiritual infinite harvest, the reward for mitzvot, which we will fully experience when Mashiach comes and resurrects the dead. What's the practical lesson for you and I when we deal with our infinite struggle of creating an eternal legacy that will live beyond the grave? The practical lesson for this is that our drive, need, and yearning for an infinite eternal legacy can only be fulfilled through our spiritual work that we physically perform. Our finite spiritual soul expresses its infiniteness, infiniteness through our physical performance of spiritual deeds. The actions that we perform in this world are physical actions. However, our physical actions can be spiritual work. And thus, our soul can create through the body, within the physical world, an eternal legacy. Here is a simple way to say this. The only money you get to take with you into eternity is not the money you physically held on to, but the money that you gave away as charity to others. Here's an interesting story they tell, and with this I'll finish. 
this person, very affluent, very wealthy, he came and he died and he went to heaven and the angels tells him, no, 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 you can't go into the Garden of Eden. Well, you know what you did. He says, what are you talking about? He pulls out his checkbook, says, how much is it going to cost? And the angel smiles and says, to get into this place, you can't use checks. You need to use receipts. Receipts of the checks that you gave down there to charity. Friends, modernity offers growth and growth comes with challenges. Judaism offers timeless divine solutions. Here at the Jewish mind is where modernity meets Judaism.